Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are excited to be bringing you today's episode because we're welcoming back two amazing artists and their incredible company to our show today. Joining us, we have the co-artistic directors over at What Will the Neighbors Say, James Clements and Sam Hood Adrian. They're joining us today to talk about their 2023-2024 season. In fact, it's their eighth season, which is now kicking off December 16th over at the Brooklyn Art House. This particular performance's theme is At the Barricades, and it's playing right now 2 p.m. and at 3.30 p.m. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting www.tns.org. We had a lot of fun with these two when they were last on our show to talk about their previous season. So we're so excited to welcome the team behind What Will the Neighbors Say back onto our show. So let's go ahead and welcome them on. James, Sam, welcome back to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for having us. It's great to be back. Yeah, we could not be more excited. It's always good to see you, Andrew. And we are super jazzed about all the great stuff we have coming in the next, like, six months here at What Will the Neighbors Say? So just appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I am so jazzed about having you two here. I love what you two do. I had a lot of fun at one of your performances back in the spring. In fact, you got both my wife and I up to tell our stories when we were there, which was so much fun. First time I've ever performed or spoken here in New York. So pats on the back to the two of you. And you had a wonderful musical guest, Ellery Ward, who was incredible. I mean, I mean, she was like, not only such a wonderful and and nice person to just be around, but the sets that she did as like a musical theater lover, as a Sondheim fan, just like truly blew my mind. And I I think she's going to end up being like a pretty big deal. So to get a, you know, intimate 70 person performance from her was just like, I, w- I was in heaven. It was spectacular. She was so great. And and Abby Feldman, our host, also did such a wonderful job. And like those series of three events with the support of the Department of Cultural Affairs really did create like three months of of beautiful free community space that was just such a joy to to put together and see the fruits of. So I'm so happy you were able to join us for that in person. It was so much fun. It was an incredible event. And I'm excited that you're back now for this eighth season and you're at a new venue out in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Art House. So before we dive in to the eighth season, which I think our listeners are very excited for, why don't we do a quick recap? Maybe let those who aren't as familiar with what you do kind of pull the curtain back, see what you do. So let me start by having you two tell us a bit about what is, what, what are, what will the neighbors say? What do you do? What are these performances about? And, and Sam, why don't I start with you having that explanation a little bit first? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, we are getting ready to kick off our eighth season. We were founded in 2016. So in a broad sense, our mission is to provoke questions through untold stories. And we do that in a number of ways. We do theatrical productions, which are generally 
primary source history research-based devised pieces of experimental theater. They range from topics of colonialism in Puerto Rico to immigrants living through public health crises in Queens to what we've got coming up at the Brooklyn Art House, which is an exploration of the international brigades of the Spanish Civil War. So we've done 10 original productions over the course of these last eight years and further co-produced 25 other original works through festivals and micro-presentations. So our theatrical productions are a big part of what we do, but the other sort of major arm of what we do here, What Will the Neighbors Say, are free community activation events. This is everything from our storytelling event, Storytime, that we were just talking about. We've been doing that in one way, shape, or form since 2017. We started off doing it at the Industry City Distillery and most recently did it at the Cell Theater in Chelsea. And basically it is a night of music and storytelling that offers folks the opportunity to get up on stage and share a story that has personal significance to them. The only real rule that we have is that it's a true story. We don't want people like, you know, getting up and trying out their type five for the comedy club. But we have been doing that event for many years and have just in the last iteration, I think really found its feet and found its uh, the way that it works by, by having a host who pulls the night together, a musician who who sort of gets up on stage first and breaks the ice a little bit and welcomes folks in. And most recently, you know, we had snacks and an open bar. And the most important thing is that it is free and folks can come wherever they are on a a given day. And also in this last iteration, we added in virtual events beforehand so that if there were people who couldn't make it to the theater for whatever reason, they could still flex that storytelling muscle with fabulous facilitators at home writing their own stories. Other community work we do, we've partnered with Queens Public Library, the Queens Memory Project, Brooklyn Public Library to do some writing workshops and memoir stories and sort of turning personal stories into works of theater. And then we also do a fundraiser every year, not for us, but for other grassroots organizations doing important social advocacy work. Most recently, we did a fundraiser in collaboration with the Queerly Festival at the Crane Theater called Affirm This, which was a night of drag, comedy, and music and performances to benefit the Transformations Project and the Audre Lorde Project. And we ended up raising $1,000 for those organizations through this fabulous night. So we've done a number of those throughout the years. And we do also do a bunch of education work, but I feel like I'll pass that off to James to talk about. Yes, James, I, I do want to hear more about that, if you wouldn't mind picking up the ball and running with that. Yeah, absolutely. So as as Sammy said, that's our third kind of main area of operation. And I think something that we're very proud of across these first seven years where we've learned so much about ourselves as artists, about the company, about the needs of our of our community and about our role in in the kind of theatrical ecosystem in our city. As we've learned all of that, what we've really stuck to is across these programs, whether theatrical community or education, they're all serving this mission to provoke questions through untold stories. We don't think of our community and education work as an add-on. We don't think of it as something you just get done for grant applications or for for funding. It's really something that is integral to how we make work and the reason we make work and how that manifests 
and education specifically, there's kind of three main areas of our educational programming. And some of this will overlap a little bit with our current season announcement. One program is What Will the Kids Say? So that's our kind of K through 12 initiative that's involved Sam and I teaching everything from physical theater to musical theater to young people across North America. We've toured our original TYA musical, The Untitled Shape Show, to Toronto, to Providence, to New York. We've provided bilingual arts education for free at El Puente Presenti, a community organization here in Brooklyn. And now we are we are thrilled to be joining the team at Barrington Stage Company as playwright mentors for their PMP youth playwriting program. So that that initiative is ongoing and we love love working with young young new artists. The second area is Sam touched on this a little bit, but our kind of community educational programming. So providing those free writing workshops for the Queen's Public Library, for Brooklyn Public Library, for the, the Queen's Memory Project, developing, you know, citizen artists and everything from memoir writing to grief reflection to poetic forms. So so kind of really blowing open the idea of arts education being, you know, exclusive or hierarchical, making sure all that programming is free at the point of access and supported by strong community partnerships. Then our third big area for education is our higher education program. So as a duo, we've taught at CUNY Queens College, where we were artist in residence for a number of years. We've also done master classes at Ohio State University. We taught in one of the most incredible challenges, I think, of our career during the pandemic's height. We taught a physical theater at the Wuhan Institute of Design and Science. So we were teaching 50 kids. We do not speak Mandarin. Very few of them spoke English. It was, you know, 5 a.m. in Scotland, midnight in Providence, you name it, all over the place on Zoom. And we taught this incredible physical theatre class, which really reminded us of how much can be achieved without language sometimes and, and how how much theatre can be a lived form. And then we're very excited to announce as part of this season, we've been asked to join the adjunct faculty at Marymount Manhattan College, where we'll be teaching and we're already doing master classes right now in the autumn, and we'll be teaching undergraduate courses beginning in the spring with lots of exciting other projects that we can't talk about yet that we're in collaboration with the college to figure out. So so again, across across the event, you, you know, Andrew, you attended Storytime, looking at teaching documentary source-based theater and then creating these plays that are source-based it's we hope a through line and the through line is telling and finding new stories so whether that's someone holding a beer at an open mic telling their truth whether that's you know a young kid in the barrington program who's devising an original piece where they talk about their experience of navigating the world as a 13 year old which i'm sure none of us can even imagine what that is today or if it's us in an archive researching Spanish Civil War letters, it's always fueled by this desire to identify, uplift, investigate untold stories. I love all this. And this is one of the reasons why I think we had so much fun is, I mean, dare I say, this is art for art's sake. This is just here to have fun. We're just here to explore true stories, to explore the humanity, the art form of theater at its core. So I love that. So with what you're doing with these great, I, I'm going to coin a term, James, that you had mentioned when we were talking previously with these three buckets that you're 
you're focusing on and filling with this great project. And now you're taking it to Brooklyn, to the Brooklyn Art House with the eighth season. I want to turn our focus a little to your first show that's happening on December 16th, which you've entitled At the Barricades. Let's dive a little bit more into that. And you've kind of tapped on it a little bit and talking about these letters from the Spanish Civil War and whatnot. James, can you give us a little more insight into what audiences can expect from this particular show? Well, I guess shows because you're slating two of them. What can audiences expect to, to experience and hear from this? Well, I think folks that have followed our journey in these past years will know this and hopefully new folks who are listening that this will be their first neighbor's show. Welcome to the neighborhood. We're thrilled to have you. But what we've really developed a reputation for, I think, in the past seven years is work that is very political, very provocative, very much using historical political eras to examine very prescient and current issues. Our work is is always source-based, so it begins with research. Now, that research might be in, in an archive. It's often been through conducting interviews. It could also literally be, as it has been, flying to Berlin, Puerto Rico, London, and really being walking the streets where your characters walked. You know, that's a form of research for us, too. But it always begins from that from that place. And I think something that, that Sam and I were discussing, you know, in six months, a year ago, and are still discussing, of course, began discussing then, was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And this sense that, you know, in the Spanish Civil War, which, you know, I'll keep it very brief, but for any listeners who are not so familiar with it, it was a conflict in the late 1930s to defend democracy in Spain. That conflict ultimately failed and Spain had a fascist dictatorship for the next 40 years under a dictator called Francisco Franco. Very minimal background, but just a tiny bit of context. This war is particularly interesting to Sam and I because the whole international brigade were volunteers. So these were were citizens like, like you, Andrew, like Sam, like myself, who truly said, well, I am actually going to go to Spain and if I give up my life, that's the right thing to do because there is fascist occupying power that is oppressing another another group. And the only way to to exist as a citizen in the world is to to fight that. And, you know, it'd been a really big part of my childhood. I believe Scotland sent more soldiers per capita than any other country. And um, my grandfather would talk, he was too young to go, but he would talk about being at the shipyard, seeing the soldiers off. We actually scattered his ashes in front of the Spanish Civil War Memorial in Glasgow. So it had always been on my radar. It had been on Sam's radar too, you know, through through work by George Orwell. And it just felt like this is a great story to actually say, what does resistance look like now? What does civic action look like now? What, how far do you go to protect the freedom of others? And you know, unfortunately, in the six months we've been researching it, including, you know, the horrific events of the last 10 days, it's just becoming more and more of a prescient question, frankly, is is what is what do what do you do? So Sam and I have had an amazing time over the past few months researching that piece. I did some research on it in, in Europe. We did some research on it together at the Tamman Labor Archives, which is an incredible resource that anyone in New York can can access at NYU which is a sort of history of uh, American labor 
movements. They housed a huge collection of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade archives. That was the name of the American troops that traveled to Spain. It was a race and gender integrated battalion, the first in American history. And actually the American army reversed that integration for World War II. So you just, you know, all the way for all the way in for left-wing activism and the progressiveness and intersectionality of that. So yeah, we've been having an amazing time researching this, this conflict, gathering everything from letters to posters to you know, clothing inspiration, really, really immersing ourselves in the world and are now starting to write together some scenes and some some monologues and some sort of bits and pieces, shall we say, of this play. And then in December, we'll be gathering some incredible actors and a wonderful director, Italian director Federica Borleni, we're collaborating with. And we'll have 10 days to sort of play with all these sources, all this text, all these amazing war war songs of of resistance and anti-fascism. And come come see us on December 16th and we'll share what we've cooked up by then. Brooklyn Art House. That sounds amazing. I love the depth that you are all going to for this show. Sam, let me ask you if I could, with this show and with everything going on in the world and kind of how you're responding to it, is there a message that you're hoping that your audiences take away from this particular show, as well as from this eighth season in general of What Will the Neighbors Say? Yeah, I think a a big thing for me that I've been thinking about as we've been doing research and starting to write and putting the team together is James and I are just big history buffs in general. We're really interested, particularly like early 20th century history is something that we just find particularly interesting and, and explore. And what I'm always looking for in sort of retelling or cracking open these nearly century old stories is how to take an experience of someone from, you know, the Jarama front in 1937 and say, okay, what happened to this person? And then sort of reflect that back onto the audience and think, what does that mean for us today? And have them leaving the space asking questions of, oh my gosh, this person did this in this scenario. What would I have done if I was, you know, a a pro-democracy advocate in, you know, living in Brooklyn in 1937? Would I have gone? I'd like to think that I would have gone, but would I have actually put my life on the line for these people I'd never met in this country I'd never been to, you know, at the time halfway around the world? And now that we are sort of sadly and scarily in a time in our history when you know, some of the events of the early 20th century are repeating themselves in terrifying ways. What are we now going to do about it? You know, I'd like to think that I would go and volunteer to fight in an international brigade in Ukraine, but would I actually do that? I don't know. So if I wouldn't do that, what can I do or what will I do to, to make it a specific example? So I think that that is one thing that's really been on my mind and what I hope audiences leave this this sharing with, because this will be, you know, a ver- an initial exploration of what a, a large scale version of this piece could be, is first of all, learning something about a piece of history that at least here in America, we don't really talk about, even though it was the precursor to World War II. I mean, at the time that this conflict was happening, people were saying, it's Spain now, but it's us tomorrow. And that is literally what happened just 
you know, two years later if you were living in Europe. So I hope that folks leave the the show having learned something in an in an interesting, fun, theatrical way. And also with that new knowledge, question not only what they would have done if they were in the shoes of these volunteers, but what are they slash can they slash should they be doing now to to fight for these values that we hold so dear. And I think that in a broad sense with our eighth season, we are digging into questions of of values and and what do we what do we hold dear and who who do we want to uplift i mean at the barricades is definitely the focus of the first half of our season but at the same time we are working on a project right now at queens college where we where we were the artists in residence for the last 3 years working with their gender love and sexuality alliance to take an archive that they have of these incredible they call them journals that the club had going back as far as 1985 but really they're more like physical pieces of social media. I mean, they are old school, like need notebooks that would sit in the club house or club office on campus and students would leave notes for one another. And these notes were everything from, I sat here for an hour and no one showed up. Sorry, I missed you guys to, I can't believe, you know, so-and-so made out with so-and-so at this party to, I finally came out to my parents and it went well, or it didn't go well and everything in between. And so they are launching a new special collection of these journals and have brought us in to work with a cohort of students over the next four weeks, turning those journals into a micro piece of verbatim theater that uplifts these queer stories of the last 30 years in Queens. And so that's just another example of how through this season we are telling these untold stories like we always do, but also bringing questions of identity and value to the surface in in both of these projects. So I, I and then we've got some stuff planned for the later half of the season that is very exciting, but I cannot talk about just yet, that does the same thing, but explores more how do we as an artistic community come together to create something new. So I, I think exploring these things is really top of mind for us. Well, I kind of want to build on that answer a little bit more. And and James, I want to ask with this a season, what can audiences expect going forward past at the barricade? I think, you know, for us, what, what they can expect is to be challenged you know we 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 hope it's you know like with story time with the event you attended we hope that there's a lot of space for love and care and compassion in the neighborhood and we certainly prioritize at all times consent and safety and equity in our spaces but at the same time you know our work is provocative we believe that the theater should be should be provocative and you know, I think something we've thought a lot about in, you know, I know we're not really post-COVID, but certainly post the lockdowns is how do we convince someone that we are offering them something they cannot get on Netflix, that they cannot get on, on you know, Hulu? What is the reason for coming to the theatre? And we know as theatre makers and practitioners that there's something so sacred and special about being in space with other people 
and experiencing something live and the, the meaning that 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 has but it's also a hard sale you know you need to get a babysitter you need to have funding for the ticket you need to travel if you're in you know we we're we're a new york based company we're so spoiled here but not every not every geographic location has a ton of live culture so we're asking a lot of of audiences as theater makers all the time and i think something we've learned certainly with covid do not take them for granted do not take that for granted they don't owe, our audiences don't owe us anything we need to compel them to come into our spaces and so you know without the barricades what we hope in light of all of the you know horrific conflicts happening at this moment in the world that like Sam said really feels like a conflagration at the moment that it certainly unpre feels unprecedented in our lifetimes hopefully what they will get from that is is like Sam said a real sense of well what are you doing where do you stand as a matter of historical record I suppose like what side of history are you on in each of these conflicts and that's up for up to every single person to decide for themselves but we just want them to be thinking about that and tuning into that frequency and 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 kind of you know hopefully what that work does is 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 highlights that life and history is not just a series of random events that there are cause and effects and we are all participating in it all the time and so hopefully that immediacy and that rawness and that provocation that, that feels to me only something that can be experienced live and in community with other people and then the project in the spring which I know we're keeping a little bit under wraps at the moment in a very different way forces audiences to really engage and really be present and almost work together to figure out the piece and it, so it goes back to that same thing what can we do as the neighbors that you simply cannot get on an ipad or on a streaming service and that's our big our big kind of i think goal for our programming always but especially in this moment is getting people into space wake, waking them up um with good quality work because you know the reason we make theater as opposed to being anything you know a politician or a lawyer any other way in which you might or an activist right and other ways in which you might be asking these questions of the world we are asking them through our our artwork so we want to make sure that work is high quality and compelling and and a really really engaging and then once everyone's engaged we hope that they will leave the space thinking about how they move through the world and how they want to impact the world and so I think that's what our audiences can expect is to be challenged I love that. I love that mindset. And I'm excited to see what comes of it. And I'm really excited for the spring bit. Like I, the hook is there. I'm taking the bait. I want to know more, <laughs> but we'll have to wait. It will be a long winter and we will wait. My final question for this first part is for both of you. And it's who do you hope have access to these shows put on by what will the neighbors say? And Sam, I want to start with you first on that. Yeah, access and accessibility has been 
uh, always top of mind for us. We certainly hope to reach members of our artistic community. This project is funded by the Brooklyn Arts Council, and one of the framing devices we're using is the true story of Brooklyn College students who went to go fight in the conflict. So hoping folks here in Brooklyn come out to learn an interesting piece of, of their history. But accessibility is something that is always on our mind and we're actually introducing a new accessible ticket policy here, what will the neighbors say, where we ask folks who have more means to pay it forward and ask folks who maybe don't ha always have the means to come out to the theater to say, that's okay, here's what I can, here's what I can and pay for this work because the work does have value, but at the same time, we want it to be accessible to folks instead of those, you know, one, two, three hundred dollar Broadway Broadway tickets. So we're introducing a new ticketing structure that we're trying out at the barricades and will hopefully implement to a greater degree in our main stage productions, where we say the standard ticket is ten dollars, the pay it forward ticket is twenty dollars. And that means if you have a little extra cash you can pay $20 and the sort of $10 overage will go to covering the cost of someone who doesn't. And the final ticket option will be pay what you can, whether that's, you know, a dollar or five or 10 or, you know, 50, if you're that person, making it not only accessible, making it okay to just come to the theater where you're at and regardless of your financial situation, still be able to take in this work and hopefully get something from it. That is fantastic. James, let me ask you the same question. I mean, I'm not sure if we're going to get much of a different answer, but is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, who do you hope have access to this? I mean, I think we have really incredible, as we always say, everyone is welcome in our neighborhood. To us, we think of our neighborhoods as kind of concentric circles. So we have the folks we serve in, in Bushwick and Brooklyn more widely that are our kind of core core community, shall we say, and then a wider neighborhood, which is all across the city. So our work in Manhattan, our work in Queens, and then this kind of global neighborhood. So folks in Scotland, folks in Puerto Rico, folks in Canada, in, in Berlin, in London, you know, places we've toured and been where we've cultivated these communities that we act, that we engage through digital programming. So in a sense, it's a very expansive neighborhood. I think Yes, yeah, so all, all being welcome, I think specifically some of the groups we've been lucky to really engage with in the last couple of years, um, fellow immigrant folks in Queens through our work at CUNY. We've always had a really strong Latine community across Brooklyn. We've done a lot of programming in, in arts and education in that space across the borough. You know, so there's sort of our our folks that we we serve through each of our different departments. There's the folks that we've kind of naturally ended up engaging with and I think the other thing that's very exciting right now is we have an all brand new board of directors you know we had an amazing board guiding us before and we're very grateful for their service but something we really you know Sam and I wanted to have a real real conversation I think about equity in our board and to that end we decided to remove a mandatory financial give get and instead build a board entirely of working artists. And so we have this absolutely phenomenal group that will then introduce us to brand new creative communities, as opposed to the situation that often happens on nonprofit boards where you have great people who 
who care about the work, but maybe they're there because they can write a check or maybe they're there because they, for any number of reasons that are of course valid, but for us, we were like, what we want is artists who can connect us with communities so we can be of service. And so I think we have a really exciting new neighborhood, new neighborhoods arriving because of this amazing board or in collaboration with this amazing board. we have left i do want to dive a little bit more personally to the two of you of course we've had you on before so we have picked your brain a little bit but you had mentioned before we started you both have been doing a lot of traveling having a lot of fun and i thought i'd ask my favorite question again just in case it's changed which is you know what is your favorite theater memory or what's another one of your favorite theater memories in case maybe you've had a great experience over the course of the summer I think for me, and I've been thinking a lot about this piece recently as we've been preparing for our time at Marymount and joining the adjunct faculty there in the spring. I saw a piece on Broadway back in like 2017. It was called The Encounter, and it was written and performed by Simon McBurney as part of Complicite Theater. Uh, And basically, it is this one-person show where he recreates the story of a man, I believe he was a National Geographic photographer, who got lost in the Amazon and was caught, was, came into contact with this uncontacted tribe in the Amazon. And what was so incredible about that piece, first of all, it was technically one of the most incredible pieces of theater I've ever seen. Everybody in the audience, and this was a full Broadway house, had headphones. And the way that he created it was all through live sound looping that he created on stage with a microphone that was shaped like a head. So when he spoke into the left ear of the head, you heard it in your left ear. And what I also loved about it was it was not just the story of this photographer. It was also him, Simon's story of creating this piece. I mean, one of the characters was the voice of his daughter as she poked her head into her office to see what he was up to. And I just, the movement, the technology, the story, seeing how the sausage gets made, sort of, but also not understanding how it was working at all. I mean, I walked out of that theater thinking that is one of the most incredible pieces of theater I've ever seen. I have no idea how they did it. And I cannot believe it's on Broadway. It was so exciting and really, really spectacular. So I think that piece will always stick with me. And given sort of the documentary primary source based work that we're teaching to our students, it keeps coming up for me. I love that. And you are like the third guest we've had recently that has mentioned that show. I've only gotten to see clips of it, but it looked amazing. And hearing people recount that show, it sounds just, it it sounds less of a show and more of an experience. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. James, how about you? 
but I've so so many I'm sure that we all we all do so I don't know if this is my favorite but it's just one that's come to mind it was right kind of at the beginning of us all working as a company we were in we were in Edinburgh at the Fringe our first summer doing a show called the Diana Tapes that was about Princess Diana it was a source-based show about secret tapes that she recorded as her marriage was collapsing as a kind of way to to escape her her situation so it was a, a kind of big project that started us off it ended up touring to did two New York runs it went to Providence it went to Toronto it did a kind of closing lap in in London and I remember just us at the fringe being so young and scrappy and so kind of ambitious for the piece but having you know the, the classic fringe you have 10 minutes to set up five minutes to break down we're like how do we create this whole world in with no money and no time and no space and it was just so much adrenaline and and it just feels like such a special time and such a foundational time in Sam and I's friendship and creative relationship and in the basis of the company and and we, yeah, we ended up touring it for two years and then this had this kind of victory lap run in London. And the character I played in the show, Andrew Morton, came to see the show in London and I performed his character to him. And I was incredibly nervous, as you might imagine. And like the third line in, I, you know, I've been studying his accent and his mannerisms for so long. I really knew, knew him inside out, it felt like. And about three lines in, I just heard him laugh, loudly, loudly laugh. And I was just like, oh, my God, thank God. We're kind of off to the races. And and yeah, I feel like that that whole that whole memory, that whole show really felt like our first big grown up show that had legs and 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 got us where the first kind of steps of our company. So I think I have a really fond memory of that. And. I just feel very lucky that, you know, something that we have not lost and Sam and I really still cultivate is we are scrappy and we can do a lot with a little and we are, you know, willing to to hang the lights and and take the overnight tour bus. And, you know, that 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 energy and that passion and that drive hasn't declined as the organization has grown, which feels very exciting. Love that memory. Thank you both so much for sharing those memories. Those are wonderful. We've kind of mentioned some of these, but I thought I'd add a little recap. Do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? I would say just our, our CUNY Queens College piece that we're putting together with the Gender, Love, and Sexuality Alliance will be premiering on campus on November 15th. It is a, a little bit of a journey, but these students are really passionate about bringing these archives to life. And so that will be at 7 p.m. on November 15th. Other fun neighbors things we have coming up, we are partnering with our corporate sponsor, Free Riders, to do a day of community created Mad Libs at their tree stand on 2nd Avenue on Sunday, December 10th. So if you're looking to get a ethically made 
made sustainable Christmas tree this year and want to come make some Mad Libs with us, we'll be doing that from 12 to 2 on December 10th. And then finally, every year to sort of thank our neighborhood for supporting our work and coming out, we throw a free holiday party. So we'll be throwing that on Sunday, December 17th, Venue TVD. But we always have some great music, some free drinks, and it's just a great time to sort of gather together and celebrate the year that we're getting ready to end. So those are sort of the three three things we have coming up, unless you're a Marymount Manhattan College student, in which case sign up for our course in the spring. Well, that sounds incredible. There's a lot going on, and I can't wait to hear more about what's coming in the spring, especially that spring show. So with that being said, if our listeners want more information about what will the neighbors say about at the barricades or about either of you? Maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Our website, www.tns.org, has all of that info on our past work, our upcoming work, all the ways to contact myself, contact Sam, contact us both. And we also are very active on Instagram. We're at WWTNS Theater. We get a lot of our content straight from sort of us to our community through that page so yeah get the the website the social medias info at wwtns.org for our general email but but everything's there well james sam it has been an absolute delight speaking with the two of you again truly it's like talking with old friends i could go on and on about all the amazing work you're doing and about all the great things coming up so thank you for stopping by and taking the time to chat with us today Thank you for having us. It's always such a pleasure. My guests today have been the co-artistic directors at What Will the Neighbors Say, James Clements and Sam Hood Adrian. We talked today about their upcoming 2023-2024 season, which is their eighth season, and their upcoming first show of the season at the Barricades, which is playing December 16th at 2 p.m. and 3.30 p.m., at the Brooklyn Art House. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting their website, www.tns.org. Also check them out on Instagram at WWTNS Theater. And of course that's theater the right way with an R-E. They have got a lot of great things going on. And this is a wonderful company to go out and support both financially and with your patronage. They do such amazing work. This really is a company that not only supports artists, but they support the community. This is just a really great time. So December 16th, get your tickets now for this free event too at 2 p.m. and 3.30 p.m. It's a great time. We're going to be showing up for this. They've got a lot of other stuff going on. So check out their website and we'll see you on December 16th for At the Barricades presented by What Will the Neighbors Say? So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. 
Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.